Good morning, everybody. We are in um, our series called The Things of the Spirit. And if you didn't know, that phrase, The Things of the Spirit, that comes directly from the Bible. That's a phrase the Apostle Paul uh, uses. I believe it's in Romans. It talks about the things of the Spirit. And we're doing, we're taking probably about 12 weeks to do a deep dive uh, into, the, into the person and work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. So quick recap, if you haven't been journeying with us right now, this is week five. And week number one, we started off with the 10 works of the Spirit looking at a comprehensive overview of what are all the different things that the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit does and who is the Holy Spirit. So we looked at that. Then um, week two, we looked at um, uh, God being a relational God, the idea that throughout the Bible we see God's work is to come closer and closer to us with his presence to restore his presence to us, which is the thing we had lost in the first place. And we see the culmination of that um, with the birth of the church. And when the church is started, um, the Holy Spirit is poured out in power on Jesus's church uh, to empower his people to do his work in the world. And from that point, we see the explosion of Christianity around the world, the spread of the gospel message of Jesus around the world. And we're still living with the implications of that uh, today. And then uh, Week three, we looked at the idea of, started to look at the idea of spiritual gifts. That one of the big works of the Spirit is when He comes, He gives us power for supernatural ministry for these spiritual gifts. And then last week, week four, we looked at, we honed in on the gift of prophecy. These are all on our website. They're on iTunes podcast. They're on YouTube. Catch up with them if you haven't um, heard any of them yet. And then today, we're going to be Continuing in this, we're going to be looking at three spiritual gifts. We're going to be looking at the gift of wisdom, the gift of exhortation, and the gift of knowledge. And I bundled these three together um, for a couple of reasons. One reason is the Bible has a little, a little less to say about each of these gifts. It had a lot to say. The Bible has a lot to say about prophecy. Uh, these three is a little less to say, um, but also there's a lot of overlap with these gifts. So they're kind of nice to bundle them together. So we, it's three for one today. So I've got us a special deal. Uh, we're saving money as well, so it's great. So let's pray and uh, let's uh, get into this. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit with us. We thank you for um, your relational presence, that you come to us, that you speak to us, that you're uh, a communicative God. And I pray that you today would help us hear your voice, that we would be in tune and sensitive to the leading of your voice, that we would have faith to move in the world with your, the power that you give us to glorify your name, to help people believe, to encourage the saints, and to glorify you. Lord, we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's start with the gift of wisdom. We're going to start with the gift of wisdom. Now, there's an amazing promise to all believers uh, that God makes about uh, wisdom. In James chapter 1, verse 5, we're told this, that if any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to and and it will be given him. So uh, we see that wisdom is not exclusive to any one person. In fact, there are probably some days that some of us scratch our heads and think, you know, I think I was in the back of the line today when God was giving out wisdom. That we can be kind of foolish and stupid sometimes. But the promise of Scripture is that if we're lacking wisdom, we can ask God for it. But this is a general sense of wisdom. Anyone can, can gather this kind of wisdom. You can, you can read the wisdom literature of the Bible. You can go through Proverbs and other wisdom literature, and you can, 
gain knowledge. You can learn from, from the wisest people in history, from the, uh, the wisest writings that you can, can come across, because God's wisdom is everywhere, and you can, you can learn all of that. You can learn wisdom uh, through learning to speak like Master Yoda. You know, there's all kind of different ways to grow in wisdom. But is this the same as this spiritual gift of, of wisdom that's mentioned here uh, in, that we're going to be looking at in Scripture today? When Paul, the Apostle Paul talks about spiritual gifts, there's a few places in the New Testament where it lists out different gifts. And in Corinthians, he lists out several gifts, lists out, lists out prophecy. And in the same list as prophecy, you've got gifts of healing, you've got gifts of wisdom, you've got um, gifts of, of all these different you know, gifts of languages, which is uh, typically translated as the gift of tongues. And in that list, we also have the gift of, of uh, wisdom. So we have 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verses 7 through 8, it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So these gifts are given for our good. Verse 8, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. Now, what is the difference between James chapter 1, verse 5, wisdom, where, hey, if you lack wisdom, you can just get wisdom, and then this gift here mentioned? Because not everyone is going to receive the utterance of wisdom. We looked at this before, that not every Christian can have every gift. So when the Spirit's present in God's church, his, what's sometimes called his dancing hand wants to distribute gifts to people. Wants to, the Holy Spirit wants to impart different gifts to people at different times. And so some people will get the utterance of wisdom. How is this gift different? Notice here it's called the utterance of, of wisdom. Some translations literally call it the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom. You can either, either, it means the same thing, the utterance of wisdom or the word of wisdom. This is a, the difference, the key difference here is that this is a communicative gift. Whereas um, general wisdom, you say, you might say, I'm growing in wisdom in using my finances. I'm wiser with my money now than I used to be. And that benefits me in my private life. I just make wiser choices with things and I've got things in more in order. That would be one way to think of it. But that's different to the utterance of wisdom. That we can, we can, because it's listed out with prophecy and listed out with other things, it probably functions very similar to the, the dancing hand of God distributing gifts to people. That Last week we looked at the idea that a prophecy starts off as a revelation in your heart. So we looked at this last week. That It says, well, if someone's sitting, one's sitting there and they, they get a revelation, well, the first person that was going to speak has to be quiet, and the second person then gets to share. So, and they get to prophesy from a revelation. So this is a rev, what's called a revelatory gift. It's the, the word of wisdom. Somebody has received something from the Holy Spirit internally. They've been given something to share. It's a communication from God for a specific moment to give wisdom in the here and now, something that we are lacking. We don't quite see clearly, and the Holy Spirit just illuminates it to one person for the common good. For everyone else. It can be just used bet between individuals, a word of wisdom for one person, or it can be to everyone. Everyone gets to hear this word of wisdom. And so the, the key here is that we're, we're not just looking at growing in general wisdom, although the content of a word of wisdom is going to be the same as general wisdom, but we're looking for to be sensitive to the nudging of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit's prodding the heart, nudging us and saying, hey, I, I want you to share this either with this person or with the, with the whole church. There's this word of wisdom that's coming through. Now, we live in a very unwise time, so we may not be able to, we may not, just hearing this description, we may say, well, I haven't heard this very often. You know, 
can I think of a time where I've heard somebody use a, the word of wisdom? Can I, can I think of that in my life where I've done that or someone else has done that? I'm not sure. Actually, this gift probably flies under the radar quite a bit because if you, tr- if you truly have some wisdom to share, you know, the worst thing you could do is to say, get up and say, if you didn't know, I have the gift of wisdom. Because the problem in doing that is then anything you say after that, you've undermined yourself instantly because people are going to be like, well, you've already proven to us you're not very wise by um, how you've framed this from the very beginning. And so somebody even, we might just conclude, oh, they're prophesying. They're, they're, they're sharing a word from God. They've got a word from God. They're prophesying. But there might be times where actually technically it's a word of wisdom because of the actual content of it. But we're not necessarily always in tune with that. So that's the word of wisdom. We should pray that the Holy Spirit gives us more words of wisdom. Because there are times where we're confused, where we're not, things aren't clear, we're not sure what, what we should do, and when we need the Holy Spirit to show us, this is the right way to think about this. Here's some wisdom for us. And as, as I said, we live in a very foolish age where we, we hate the knowledge of the past, we hate the wisdom of the past. And we think we know everything. And actually, sometimes we need, to, we need to stop and get back into ancient truth and say, what is God revealing? What is God saying? Let's pray for more wisdom. The second gift is the gift of exhortation. The gift of exhortation. This, again, is a communicating gift, a gift of communication, that God has revealed something to a person to then be communicated to other people. And the gift of exhortation can be defined like this, that you're essentially using your speech, using words to help motivate someone or help inspire somebody into a particular direction, trying to help somebody um, take a particular action or to think differently about something, but it's, it's, it comes with um, an exhortation. And uh, we see this gift mentioned in, in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So in the same list as prophecy here, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service and our serving to the one who teaches in his teaching, and then the one who exhorts in his exhortation. So because this, again, is, is Paul starts off this list here with prophecy, hey, you're going to prophesy, we already know that a prophecy starts by an internal revelation. The Holy Spirit gives you something that then you're going to share with somebody else. And that's, again, just if you weren't here last week, we're not talking about adding to the Bible the Bible is our only source for doctrine and morality. We're talking about receiving guidance and encouragement and help from God to be built up for the common good of the use of these, these gifts. But in the same way that prophecy comes as a revelation and a prompting of the Spirit, and then I speak it out, these other gifts work that way as well. And so in the same way, the gift of exhortation means I'm being led by the Spirit. I'm, being, I'm following the lead of the Holy Spirit to speak out, to exalt people into specific action. And if you've watched any, spent any length of time on YouTube, you know what it's like to be exhorted. We're constantly being exhorted because you better smash that subscribe button and you better smash that like button. Do it online right now. Smash that like button, that subscribe button. We're constantly, and the, the better your gift of exhortation, the, better, the more subscribers you have. I think that's maybe the way it works. So the idea of, of, of exhorting people is also to, to challenge people, to to, to challenge them or even to warn people. So we see an example of this, the first sermon that was preached from Peter in Acts chapter 2, verse 40. 
It says, and with many other words, as the Apostle Peter, with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, same word as the, the, the word of exhortation, to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So that, that's a stronger warning. Save yourself. Like he's urging people to take action, not just to be passive or just to, be, or, or just to, to tell people nice encouraging things. And some people will say that the word of exhortation is just another way of saying, oh, the word of encouragement, the gift of encouragement. Actually, it's a different thing. You might ultimately be encouraged by it. It might ultimately be positive, and it should be in your life. But exhortation is about being urged to take action. In fact, you know, I think it's in Thessalonians. Instead of translating the ESV, instead of translating the word exhort, it uses the exact same Greek word, but it, it translates it as the word urge. So there's an urgency to this gift. We're not, we're not talking about just a, you know, a pep talk or just somebody who's a hype person. You know, hey, we can get the hype person up on Sunday and just hype us all up. This is a divine gift of exhortation that comes for a specific moment, in a, for, for, for clarity in the here and now that we, we need help. We need help from the Holy Spirit to know how to respond, to know how to, how to uh, give ourselves to God's mission and to God's purposes in our lives. So this might happen as, as with Peter, he's preaching and teaching and he's exhorting the people. Probably those in leadership, those teaching, those who more are on the stage, more in front, are going to have more opportunity to exhort. It's going to be more, more natural for people in those kind of positions to be exhorting others. But this gift is so important and exhorting each other is so important that uh, the apostle uh, Paul actually says that we should exhort each other Every day, he says, I think it's Romans 3.13. We should exhort each other every day. I don't know if we have that verse or not. It doesn't matter if we do. Romans 3.13. Exhort each, one, uh, each, uh, each other every day. Reminds me of Nacho Libre. Every day. Um, so what we see here is, as with the gift of wisdom, we see that there is general wisdom. Hey, James you know, 1.5. If you lack wisdom, you ask for wisdom. But then we see, well, there's the utterance of wisdom. There's the word of wisdom, which is a, a particular special gift. In the same way with the gift of exhortation, yes, leaders and teachers might have more opportunity to exhort. Yes, we're supposed to exhort each other every day, like really urging each other on to follow Jesus every day. Yes, those are general things that we're to do, but we can't miss that this gift is listed as a special, particular spiritual gift that some people have in greater amounts. And when they use their gift, maybe you can think of somebody who has the gift of exhortation, when they speak, when they urge us to do something, when they challenge us, when they start getting all passionate about something, you know this has power in my life. Like this inspires me to do what I know I should do. Because sometimes, you know, we, we lack wisdom. We lack motivation, don't we? This is the power of being in a church community. This is why these gifts are given for the common good. Because in, in my own lacking of wisdom, praise God, he's going to reveal to somebody else through his, the dancing hand of the Spirit of God, he's going to give someone a word of wisdom so the wisdom I'm lacking, I can receive it. I'm lacking motivation. I don't know. I'm just having a hard time motivating myself of doing the things I know I should do. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he gives the word of exhortation to this one or to that one. And I hear the word and suddenly I find the strength to do the thing that I struggle to do by myself because I received from the gift that God had given. These, this is why these gifts are so helpful. They're so powerful. If you get a sense from the Holy Spirit, a nudging from the Spirit that you need to exhort somebody, that you need to urge somebody to do something, or challenge somebody, or, or, or the whole church, you get a sense of that, step out. Trust, trust that God's going to use it. Now, as we've been saying each and every week, and remind us again that 
Paul's very clear, like, hey, look, you've got to do all this stuff. You've got to use these gifts in the spirit of love, right? So, you know, we can't be going up to people being like, you know what you need to do? You need to go do this, right? Yeah, you know, that's, that's lacking wisdom. So then, then you'll need to receive a word of wisdom to, to actually deal with that problem. So that's how the gifts, we all help each other with the gifts. So we want to do it in a spirit of love. Actually, our worship leaders um, are regularly exhorting us. This is one of the ways that you see this uh, on a, in a very uh, frequent way in our church, and in probably most churches. Our worship leaders, they're not just there to, to, to look great and sing, sing well and uh, make pleasant music and sound. They're, they're there to exhort us. So in between songs, what will happen is one of our worship leaders, well, now you're going to be noticed, you're going to be looking out for it, right? Now the worship leaders are going to be nervous about it too. But in between songs or in transitions, like, you know, going back from the sermon to, to when we sing the next song uh, after that or in, you know, before the last song, you know, our worship leaders will say specific things. And typically those are exhortations. They're, they're, they're saying, hey, let's, you know, things like maybe we read a scripture and we say, oh, this next song, um, you know, the scripture helps us understand this next song. And let's not focus our minds on this thing. Instead, let's get our hearts into this place of worship. Like that's an exhortation that's helping us in our weakness in our inability to stay focused, to actually, you know, believe the right things or to be, have the right posture of worship, the gift of exhortation can, can be used, that skill of exhortation can be used in that way to help get us all on the same page and help us in, glorify God and help us enjoy God all the more. It's a the powerful, powerful gift of exhortation. What about this third gift, the gift of knowledge, the gift of knowledge? Now, there's, there's actually quite a bit of disagreement about what this gift means, but we're going to Sherlock Holmes this and figure it out. So uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, I think it is, it says, and uh, to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. The utterance of knowledge. So again, we can, other translations use, you know, they'll, they'll say the word of knowledge. So it's, it's again, it's a communicative Gift that it has all the same hallmarks as prophecy, as the word of wisdom, as the word of exhortation. It has the same hallmarks. That's why we bundled these, you know, three for one today. We put these together because they're, they're gifts where God gives revelation on the inside to a particular person, and that person has the responsibility to then communicate that to either one or two people or to everybody um, if, if we're able to. And so... One of the great things about all these communicative gifts like prophecy and wisdom and exhortation and knowledge is that thank, thank God we don't live in the Old Testament times. We don't have to etch them into stone tablets. That would be very inconvenient. It's another good reason that we don't live in the Old Testament other than the fact that you know, we'd have very short lifespans and uh, probably get killed pretty quickly and uh, all that kind of... Although it depends on what period of time you live in the Old Testament, right? Some, early on they lived a long time. As time goes on, they start living very, very short periods of time. We don't have to etch them into stone tablets. We can just speak them out. When these gifts come, we have permission and power from the Holy Spirit to speak these out. Now, as it relates to the word of knowledge, the whole question about what this gift is revolves around what does the Apostle Paul mean by the word knowledge? To understand this gift, what does he mean when he says the word knowledge? There's two main options for us. The first option is is that he's talking about doctrine. He's talking about receiving doctrine or validating doctrine or teaching doctrine, the doctrine, you know, theology of the, of the Bible, right? That, that's, is that what it is? The word of knowledge is just about doctrine. Is that what it is? That's one option. The second option is that it's about circumstantial knowledge. 
It's, it's knowledge about people or situations or relationships or circumstances. That's the other option. And both of these examples, both of these things happen in the Bible. They both happen. So we have to ask which of those two options, which one is it? Now, in the Greek language, there's a few different words for the word knowledge, and they each have different nuances to them, and they each have a, you know, have a little bit of depth to them in terms of differentiating different types of knowledge that you can have, but they're all still under the same umbrella. You, uh, similar to, um, you've probably heard this before, but the, the Greek words for love, right, are slightly different. And they're all, they all still capture and describe love, but you use different, in Greek language, you use different words in different contexts to give each meaning a slight nuance to it. And knowledge is the same way. The Greek words for knowledge, there's still one meaning of, of what knowledge is, but there's a few nuanced ways to it. But essentially, we're still talking about knowledge. And um, I, I guess you could think of it this way, that in the way that there's lots of different Greek yogurts. But they're all yogurt. Do you get it? All right. My wife thought it was funny. My kids didn't. <laughs> Neither did anyone else. Um, <laughs> so, knowledge. What are we talking about here? Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, he tells them you, that they have, doc, they have some doctrinal knowledge. They have some clarity on some doctrine, um, but they lack relation, some relational knowledge. They're struggling with their... With, with, um, actually loving each other, knowing how to do that. And so we see this in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possesses knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now keep that verse up here for a little bit, actually. Um, it's kind of amusing to me that he says, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Because he's saying we know of our knowledge. We have knowledge that we have knowledge. So this is actually a bit of a controversial thing in the Bible here, but um, it shouldn't be. There was a controversy in Corinth where um, people, you know, in their culture basically would offer food to idols, to false gods, right? And so essentially they're making sacrifices to demons, worshipping false gods, worshipping demons, and they're sacrificing this food. And so you, when you consume the food, it's part of the worship of the demon. And so it was a big debate. Should Christians eat this food sacrificed to idols, sacrificed to demons? Is it bad or wrong to do this? Are you worshipping the demon if you eat this food? And shockingly to some Christians, Paul says, you can eat it. You weren't expecting that, were you? You can actually eat it. You're not worshiping the demons if you eat it. That's the answer in the Bible. That's why it's okay to, you know, that's why it's okay to, this is what, you know, hey, you can celebrate Halloween in certain ways. You know, we're not going to be worshiping the devil or dressing up as witches or anything, but uh, you can dress up as Superman. It's, it's not bad, you know, dress up as Superman on Halloween. That's, that's, that's a theological understanding of, um, but, of those things. But what Paul is saying is he's saying, hey, you have knowledge that... Um, if you eat the food sacrificed to the idol, it doesn't do anything to you. You're not worshiping that idol. You're not getting demonized. You're not, that, that's, not, that's not what it's doing. But if you have a weaker Christian with you whose conscience is triggered by the fact that you're eating this food sacrificed to, to this idol, then don't eat it for their sake. It's not right or wrong if you do, but you could cause your weaker brother, your weaker uh, fellow Christian, you could cause them to struggle with their own faith. And so for their sake, don't do it. You could apply that in the same way 
uh, something like alcohol. If you're, if you're as a Christian, you, you're fine drinking, you have no problem, you're able, able to drink in moderation, but you're with another believer who really struggles with that, then, you, you know, you say, well, I know it's not sinful to drink it, but for their sake, I want to help them. I'm not going to drink it, so I don't want to cause a temptation. But that would be another way to apply that, that principle there. So, um, Paul says, we, we, we know that we have this, this knowledge. So they, they had some doctrinal knowledge. They understood you can eat it and not be affected by it. But they lacked relational knowledge. They didn't know how, in certain contexts, how it would hurt certain people. Actually, probably over a dozen times in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, the apostle Paul, he says this phrase over and over again. It struck me as I was reading it this week. He says, don't you know? Don't you know, over more than a dozen times, I stopped counting because I was like, all right, there's too many. But don't you know this? Don't you know this? Don't, he's talking about knowledge. Don't you know this stuff? Don't you know this? Don't you know this? Um, constantly, we see one example of this, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. He says, your boasting is not good. Duh. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Now, what's going on here? There's actually a couple of types of knowledge that he's talking about having here. So this is one big Bible study we're doing right now. My sermon has turned into Bible study time. We're doing a Bible study, deep dive into the word knowledge. (laughs) Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? What's going on here? This is some informational knowledge about leaven. You have to know. Yeah, you put a little bit of of that leaven in that dough. What happens? The whole thing's affected by it. So that's, you've got to know, do you you have that knowledge? But that's a point to, to, to speak to relational knowledge, that if you're in a context where there's boasting or there's arrogance, don't you know that spreads? Don't you know? I mean, you can see it, right? It can happen in a family. It can happen in your workplace. It can happen in your sports team. Everyone on your sports team, boasting, it spreads, boasting spreads. And you, you, you're victor- your sports team is victorious. It can happen in, yeah, it can happen in your workplace. It can happen in a church. Can happen in any group of people. Don't you know that? Don't you have that knowledge, that relational knowledge that, like, if there's arrogance, if there's boasting, if, if we're better, we presume ourselves to be better than others, that that's, that spreads everywhere. And then you get a really toxic, gross culture within an organization, within a group of people that all think they're better than other people. Don't you know that? Do you have that relational knowledge that that's what happens? We see. Also in Corinthians, we see an example of circumstantial knowledge as well. We see it in, uh, I think it's chapter 13, verse, uh, sorry, chapter 9, verse 13. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? Now, what is this kind of knowledge? This is under that same second umbrella of, well, there's knowledge about things that happen, knowledge about what people do, about how things work. There's different kinds of knowledge. So we've seen the category of doctrinal knowledge. Yeah, the Corinthians have some doctrinal knowledge. We've also seen that the second category of circumstantial knowledge, of relational, informational, or circumstantial knowledge. We've seen this used in both ways. So which way, when Paul says to one is given the word of knowledge, the utterance of knowledge, which one is it? We're going we're gonna to Sherlock Holmes this right now. As it relates to doctrine, we know that the Bible is our only source for teaching. We don't, we don't add to the Bible. We don't take away from the Bible. That's our revelation from God showing us all the truth about who God is and who we are and how everything works. 
So the word of knowledge, we've been told these gifts are not going to pass away. They're not going to go away until we see God face to face. So we're not, people that believe they have ended are called cessationists. That's the fancy theological term for it there. Because they believe the gifts have ceased. They're no longer around. Problem with that is the Bible says they're not going to go away until we're face to face. Tells us to earnestly desire those spiritual gifts. And we see them continuing throughout church history. So uh, it's it's a really sticky situation to to be, for people to theologically deny the gifts and so the word of knowledge continues. It has continued since the days of the New Testament. It hasn't gone anywhere. It hasn't gone away. There is still a spiritual gift of the word of knowledge. But if, if we're told that all our doctrine comes from the Bible and this gift still exists today, then it cannot be about receiving doctrine. It cannot also be about validating doctrine. Can you imagine someone showing up at a small group during the week and being like, now I've received the gift of validating doctrine and I've determined there's a couple of verses I'm not happy with. And they don't mean what you think they mean. And I'm here, I, have, I alone have the power and the ability to discern, to cut these out, or to change these things. Not going to happen. Could it just mean communicating doctrine? Is that what it means? Or you're just communicating it? Could it mean that? That's actually the, the most reasonable conclusion of, on, the, on the doctrine side of this that it could mean. Um, there's a problem with that too, though, actually. In, in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, verse 6... Paul says, now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, don't worry, we've got a whole week coming up on tongues. I know I keep saying that each week, it's coming up. How will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Paul considers knowledge and teaching to be two different things. And that's not the only verse. There's actually a few verses like this where they they use separate words. So the word of knowledge is, is not the same as just teaching. I mean, teaching is going to include knowledge. I mean, a lot of it's knowledge. But the utterance, the word of knowledge that comes in a moment is, is, is different to just teaching. The final death blow, the final nail in the coffin, why I think that this cannot be talking about doctrine, is that what did what, is, what does Paul say? He says, we know in part, and that knowledge is going to pass away. I think it's Romans 13, uh, verse... Do we have that one? Do we have one for Romans 13, verse 6, maybe? Anyway, he says, knowledge will pass away. But Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, he says, my words will never pass away. So Paul says knowledge will pass away, but Jesus says my words will never pass away. Therefore, use some little bit of basic logic here, well, he can't be talking about doctrine because this, this, the knowledge is going to pass away. What would Sherlock Holmes say? If you eliminate all other options, the only thing that remains no matter however improbable, must be the truth. Is that, did I get that roughly right? Something like that? No, you guys don't know your Sherlock Holmes? All right. Actually, this is not very improbable. This is actually very probable because the, the word of knowledge must be about, and we have examples from the life of Jesus and from the life of the disciples, it must be about the Holy Spirit giving us circumstantial insights, knowledge about people, about situations, about what's happening in people's lives. We have tons of examples of this. Now, Jesus, I'll give, we're going to go through them. Jesus, the examples from him are always a little different um, because Jesus didn't receive spiritual gifts like, like we think of rece- us receiving spiritual gifts. It's a little different for Jesus. Um, obviously, you know, it was God in the flesh, so it's always going to be a little different for Jesus. Uh, but we know that Jesus laid aside some of his divine attributes in order to become human. He, he laid aside, so even... You know, when the, the, the woman with the issue of blood, right, touches his um, tassels of his, his garment and he says, 
power went out from me, who touched me? He didn't know. He didn't know who it was. He laid aside some of his divine attributes. So he didn't have all of the power available. So how did he do the miracles he did? He did them by the power of the Holy Spirit. He received power from the Spirit to do the supernatural ministry. So it's not exactly the same as us, but it's, there's some similarities for us. We see this example here with Jesus where he meets Nathaniel and he seems to know Nathaniel's character and he seems to have perceived that Nathaniel was sitting under a tree. So we've got this passage here from John. It says, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? That's that knowledge. How do you know? Where did you get this knowledge from? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus is perceiving some knowledge about him. Also, very famous one that's used for this is uh, the Samaritan woman. When Jesus meets the woman at the well, and uh, we, we have that one as well in John 4, it says, the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you, have, uh, that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, some people's arguments against using these as examples of a word of knowledge is they'll say, well, the, the Bible, in these examples, the Bible doesn't say, doesn't use the, the phrase word of knowledge to describe this. So therefore, it, it really can't be that. You can't just slap that label on it and say it's a word of knowledge. But just remember, there's only two options. It's either doctrine or circumstantial knowledge. Those are the only two options. And the problem with people that make that argument is, is that you can reflect the mirror back on them and say, in all the doctrinal examples that you would have, they also don't use the phrase word of knowledge. That, you know, that's how all the greatest arguments are made that way, right? Anyone may, ever makes an argument towards you? All you have to do is you have to shine the mirror back on them. You just turn it around and just try and ask the same question back. And say, well, how does that work for you? It's the same problem. They, they, people that would deny this face the same problem. But it's not just Jesus that we see this with. We see this with the disciples as well. We see it with the Apostle Peter. In Acts 5.3 it says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? So Peter sees, he has knowledge that this man has lied. Lied to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. Peter knew that this guy was lying to him. What about Ananias? Ananias receives information. He gets Paul's name, his address, and what sickness he has. It says, now there was a disciple, disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. He's getting a lot of knowledge here, a lot of information, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. He's received it through a knowledge, uh, through this knowledge through a vision. We also see it with uh, Cornelius as well. Another vision. About the ninth hour of the day, Cornelius saw uh, clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and then fast forwarding, um, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He's getting knowledge, information about these circumstances, names, locations. Send for this person, do this. This is the power of God. We have an example here of the apostle Paul as well. 
It says he listened, well, there's someone listening to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, and he sprang up and began walking. This is an incredible example of a, a healing miracle in the New Testament. Paul's preaching. He looks at a guy. He perceives he has knowledge that the man has faith to be healed, and so he shouts out to him, stand up and walk, and the man's instantly healed. When we receive knowledge from God, and we have to be willing and open and sensitive to say, I want to hear, I want to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say. When we receive it, we're told it's only partial. You don't get everything. You're not going to see it all. We, we, he says in Corinthians, we see in a, in a mirror dimly, in a, dusk, dark, a glass darkly, right? We, 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 we don't perceive it all. This gift isn't about us and about how impressive. Now, the gift of the word of knowledge, getting information about people, names, locations, things that have happened, I mean... That's pretty impressive, right? That's, that's a pretty powerful gift to have. And so we have to be humble about this. We have to realize we can't embellish that gift. We can't go beyond what God has says us, we, we told us. We have to be careful that we're using this power in a very humble way. Because this gift is given to help people, to spur people on, to encourage them, to challenge them sometimes, but to build them up in their faith. I remember years ago, um, I was, well, I was, a, I was a teenager at the time, so it was only a couple of years ago, and um, I was in a meeting, and some friends of mine, we were asked to uh, be ready to pray for people uh, after this, this meeting, and um, a few of us felt like we had some prophecies and some words of knowledge to share, and I'd never done anything like this before at the time, and, and I not done this a lot in my life, actually. There's probably a couple of occasions where this has happened. This is one of them. And um, as we were standing up the front there, I, I saw this guy in, in, the, in the room, and I, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, um, his, his mother was really sick, and that um, he was just so worried about it, couldn't stop thinking about it. It was, just, it was just consuming his life. It was all he could think about was his mother's sickness, and she was very sick. And, and so I felt that, and so I, I was just like really nervous and thought, like, am I just making this up? Like, what's going on here? Like, you know, I've never done anything like that before. And, um, and so some, some of my other friends shared some things they felt like, some prophecies they felt like they had. And so I got up and did this as well. And I was terrified. And I pointed at this guy and said this stuff. And I was like, is that true? And this is in front of a lot of people. And uh, he said, no. No, that's, that's not true. Well, that's not right. And I was like, oh, no. What happened? What did I get wrong? This is terrible. So I left feeling kind of discouraged and like, I guess that's not for me, that gift. And then five minutes later, as I'm walking down the street, walking away, away a friend of mine comes running after me. This is after the end of the meeting. And she says, oh, I was on part of the prayer team. And that guy you picked out, uh, he came forward for prayer. And uh, as I was praying for him, he actually said that, that what you said was right, but he was just too nervous to say it in front of everybody. Yeah, right? <laughs> So, in, in God's grace, he loves to humble me, and in his divine wisdom, um, help me fall flat on my face and big fails. Uh, and, um, but what, what a wonderful reminder, oh, that's perfect, because this gift isn't about me. You know, you know, it's, it's not about me looking impressive or people being like, wow, how'd you do that? It's, it's about that person, about that about that. Think of this, that God would go to all the trouble to give somebody a revelation, give somebody an insight just for you. 
just for you. He, he, he could single anyone out, but he singled you out. He said something to you to give you freedom, to help you know that he cares exactly about a circumstance in your life that you're facing. So, you know, I, I was really, I was bummed because I, I really had faith to pray also for his, his mother to be healed as well. So I was really wanting to pray for, not just for him, but for his mother as well. Uh, and so, but I was like, that's okay. You know, God's, God's in control of all this stuff. God knows. If you get a sense that the Holy Spirit has given you knowledge about a circumstantial thing, a rela- relational knowledge, informational knowledge, someone's name, where they live, their phone number, you know, dial it, see, see if it works, you know. Uh, I actually have heard of a story of that before, no joke. Someone, anyway, uh, I, won't, I, won't, I won't digress too much. Um, when we get these promptings from the Holy Spirit, here's what we need to do is we need to ask for humility. We need to ask for courage. We need to ask for faith. And we need to say, and God, give me the love that I need to communicate this in the best way. Because I want this person to be blessed. I don't want this to be heavy or condemning or, or weird for anyone. I want this to be a blessing for them. Let's put ourselves into an attitude and posture of worship and of singing. And as we sing, of listening to the Holy Spirit. So, you know, I would love it today. I mean, the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit, so he does what he wants to do. Maybe he wants to heal some people today or do something different. But we'll be talking about healing next week, actually. But as we sing, as we worship, ask the Holy Spirit, do you have something to give me for another person or to share? If you do, I'll be up front here. You can come and tell me it. Tell it to me. And uh, we'll see if we can fit that in. See if there's a moment for that. Let's end on this note. What's the greatest knowledge that God has revealed? The greatest knowledge. The greatest, informa- not just information, but relational knowledge is this. That there's a big barrier between us and God. And the, the only way to have that barrier taken away is through the death of Jesus on the cross. There's no other way. His sacrifice, his blood, his willing sacrifice, dying in our place, his blood being shed on that Roman cross, is the, that knowledge is the only knowledge that can save us, that can help us, that can help us know God, help us be made one with our maker. And it's found in the name Jesus, confessing the name Jesus. If you don't know Jesus today, confess his name. Confess his name. Say his name. Say the name of Jesus today. Tell him that you want to follow him, that you want to trust him, that you want to be known by him.